I'm about fired up right now. <laughs> Woo, I could do a little bit of uh, Pentecostal dancing about right this second. We're, uh, thank you. It would have to be the Holy Spirit if the dance turned out well. And so um, I'm beginning a series next week and I'm just, I was listening to that song and praying that and so I'm just going to give a truth that has been resonating in my heart and we'll pick it back up next week. But uh, you and I should know this and then let's talk about it for about four weeks. Christ will build his church. And he, he looked at Peter and said that. And then began to unpack that truth and talked about some prevailing things. And I'm really tempted now to begin to talk about it. And I'll save that for next week. But I, I just want you to know that as we listen to this cornerstone upon which we are being built as the church, as we are being woven together for the sake of his glory, that it is Jesus Christ alone that is the cornerstone um, for which and of which we are made and placed uh, Please, good grieving, I'm so excited that we are pieced together for the sake of his glory and his name. And so you just know this, pray this, believe this, and let's exemplify this as we walk through the journey that Christ will, he is, and he forever will be building his church. And we're part of that as his people. And so I'm so grateful for that. I um we began a series a few weeks ago over the Christmas season, just simply called Unto Us, and it was an Advent series about love and hope and joy and peace that, that of, of those truths and of that reality there is no end, for they are found ultimately at the culmination of the Advent in Jesus Christ, who we have celebrated. I was about to say we have celebrated for the past week. Um, I am hoping that we've celebrated for decades for many of us. That we are celebrating right now that this Advent is this waiting, literally by definition, of something extraordinary to come. And so we have experienced this Lord Jesus come, and now we're almost a people who, while he has come in, in the incarnate form of the living God on this earth, we're a people who are now um, living and worshiping and walking about our day um, with this reality of Maranatha. So, Lord, you have come, and now we are asking, come again, Lord. We are living with this sense of the advent among us of this extraordinary return of Christ. And until then, we are not making our way in a mundane fashion through this world. We are making our way as advent people expecting much from our God. Not at some day in the future when the trumpet sounds, although that will be a great day. But I'm just thinking today, like right now, today, unto us, a child is born. And unto us on this day right now, a son is given and we call him the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God. We call him the everlasting father. And our hearts cry out for this, this desire to be in the midst of God-ordained, kingdom-oriented, Advent-focused moments. God, you're doing some things and they're powerful in this earth. And, and so I began to think about how to close this series of thoughts and move into this truth that God is a God of miracles and he will build his church and miracles next weekend. God, where do we transition? How do we transition the thoughts of that, that you would you would choose a broken vessel like me to advance your kingdom. 
And I mean, literally, if I'm having the chance to stand before you and talk about Colossians 1, and if you would want to turn there or flip open your app there, I don't know if you flip open apps, I guess you do, but in, we're going to read Colossians 1 in just a minute. But I, I begin this series saying, God, you're building your church at all times, and I, I long to be in Advent-type moments, and I long to live with this Holy Spirit-inspired urgency. We begin the series with a video, and I thought it would be fitting to end the series with that. Just, just reminding us there are taste of moments like this that are going on at all times. And, and, um, in fact, um, I want to just show this video and tell you my response. And then as I begin to pray for this closing Sunday, I thought, I want to share some thoughts about how I am going to posture my life. So I watched this video, and here's my response. Jesus. I want to be in hundreds of these moments. Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life posturing my life to experience Advent moments. I want to live with infused Spirit of God expectancy in this world because I believe that God is redeeming. I don't believe this. It doesn't matter what I believe. God is redeeming mankind day in and day out, drawing men, women, and children to himself for the sake of his name and his glory. And I just want to say, Lord, and I know I have to, I can say this to him, and I love um, a study I did many years ago. If I'm going to pray things, give him a reason. So I just begin to quote scripture. God, if you would use me as an ambassador of your grace and mercy and use this brokenness in this world, I would count it a joy. And so I, I just want, if God would allow me to jump in hundreds of moments like, like this, it just happened. And you watched this a few weeks ago. Watch it again. Pull out a tissue. Thank you. 
So I want to sit in moments like that. Moments when a kid is sitting with me and for the first time the reality of the rescue of Christ is real and personal and they say yes to Jesus. I want to, I want to share the new year with families who said, I went and met you and was supposed to mentor you for three months, but three years later we're doing Christmas together. They're in, the room. They're in the room right now. I want friends who write me and say, I would love to hang out with you tonight, but I'm going to the Karen people because that's where New Year's is for us. This isn't a mysterious thing. This is a biblical thing found in Colossians, the first chapter, when Paul, who is extraordinary in passion for the gospel, says these words. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for the person upstairs. I didn't begin with this verse, but in verse 24 of Colossians 1, it says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your namesake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I am doing this for the sake of the body that is his church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Can I just pause for a moment and say it is a great question and it is a great begging and perhaps much like the father and husband on the screen, we as believers in Jesus should be on our knees with our hands spread wide saying, holy God, based on this verse, I would believe that you want to place me even if it cries suffering or challenge in the midst of redemptive moments and I will gladly and joyfully make your word fully known on this earth. I don't believe we have to question whether that is a prayer we should be praying. I should believe we should question, is that a prayer that I am begging from you, God? And if not, Holy Spirit, stir within me. I will bear up this joy. This is not Paul saying, I am going to add merit to the cross. In and through the cross, the work is fully done. But then he says, in and through that cross, I will carry and bear and walk that cross out in this earth, bearing up in my own body, my own circumstances and my own privileges, the afflictions that I see around me. And if there is someone who needs the gospel of Jesus, I will stand in the midst of that. And if the gospel involves reconnecting them to their family, I will do whatever I can to make that happen because that's what the gospel of Jesus looks like. It, it, it just fl it flows that way. And he just carries on and he says, I do this because there's a mystery that's hidden for ages and generations and is revealed to the saints. God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glorious mystery. And here it is. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so him we proclaim. Him we, we say there is this there's this Jesus coming, warning everyone. Here, here's what your role is in this earth. Teaching everyone with all wisdom. Meaning, first of all, we have pursued wisdom and we have hidden the word of God in our hearts so that we may not abandon him or walk away from his purposes. And then we are in turn teaching that with all wisdom for those around us. Here's why. So that those who have been put in your life, you could present them back to God as mature in Christ Jesus. There's a stewardship that's a happy new year reality. God, you have put people around me. And some of you are going, you have no clue who I work with. Or some of you are saying, you have no clue who lives under my roof. Or some of you are saying, you have no clue who my neighbors are because my neighbors are looking going, that dude needs help. 
You know, they don't, you have no idea who you have put us aside. And, and it's our role to say, God, and I think it's, this is this extraordinary privilege and stewardship as a church to look at the Lord and say, we're with trembling hands going to hand back to you the gospel that you have given us and what we have done this to, with it to present others mature, passionate, and faithful for the advance of your kingdom, Jesus. And we'll bear up afflictions in process of that. And we will go for the sake of your gospel for that. For this, Paul said, I toil. Listen, I am not haphazard. I struggle with all the energy of the Spirit of God that has been powerfully working within me. How beautiful is this as a reality? It's not just, I hope that God, you give me some redemptive circumstances. Paul's saying intentional, strategic, passionate. This is who I am and this is what I'm about. And I think that I'm praying for us. Is there a Is there a conviction among us that God truly does long to place us in hundreds and hundreds of redemptive opportunities and environments? And I think we see like Paul and his writing, and I want to share two other encounters and then let's, let's get married. (laughs) But I, I want to live with truth and conviction as the root of who I am. Conviction, I believe, comes from just saying, God, I'm defined by you and I made for you. That's, that's who I am and that's what I am about. I think these, these verses are pointing prior. Again, I just want to say this so there's no confusion. We're not saying, God, I am coming to do something for you. We're not saying I want to be all I can be. I want to do more things on this earth. I am really thinking we're saying we are not yet who we are, but we are in pursuit of becoming who you want us to be. We're not in this room saying, come on, guys, let's all cry out. Let's do more. That is not the clarion call. This isn't a be all you can be moment. In fact, that could be the Achilles heel of most of the church. We want to be more and do more. And God is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rest your heart and life in me and let allow me to infuse you with my presence. We need to be who we are not yet. And listen, and left to our own devices will never become. But in Jesus Christ, oh my. Just two stories. One is very familiar. You have heard of her before. And if you haven't, there's a rock. You should push it off yourself. But her name is Agnes. She felt called to ministry. And there's going to be some statements that I'll share. And they'll just pop up, Todd. And I, I'll just try to mention them. She was mentored and raised in Ireland and mentored in India. And she said to the people who were mentoring her, I want to understand how to flesh this out. I want to know what is lacking in this world. And I want as a portion of the body of Jesus Christ to um, to live out his fame. And, and how do I do that? How do I live a God-ordained truth and passion? How do I live this conviction around the truth of God? And her conviction was so much is that, that her uh, running answer was this. They asked her, what do you have? And she said, I really am deeply passionate for building an orphanage and working among the poor and among children. And they said, tell us what you have. And she said, I have three pennies. And they said, with three pennies, you can do nothing. And here's her answer. It's coming on the screen. But with God and three pennies, I can do anything. For 50 years, Agnes worked among the poor in the slums of Calcutta. In 1979, the person you know as Mother Teresa was given the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a long way from a person who has three pennies 
But it's not a long distance for a person who has three pennies and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think she just was asked, as, um, as she received the Nobel Prize, she was asked this question. She said, how did you with so little do so much? And her, um, her answer was one of a person with absolute truth conviction. She said, you should, and I love this quote, and I've used this here before, and I want to use it again. You should find your Calcutta and pour your life out there. Find where it is that you're passionate and pour your life out. And please, please don't be disturbed or bothered when you run into roadblocks and issues. More than likely, you're in the heart of God in that reality. Just find it and say, God, this is my passion and my conviction. I want to live this out. A second story is built and hinged out of the scripture. If you want to read with me in the book of um, Nehemiah, the first chapter, it is a guy who fleshed out Colossians. The first chapter in a very tangible way. And in fact, just a quick historical update, a few thoughts, and I hope that there are convictions that will birth out of this as a church. A bit of history. In 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah. He captured Jerusalem and took survivors to Babylon, known as the Babylonian exile. It's a long, uh, it, it was a 50 years later, a Jew named Zerubbabel led the first remnant back to rebuild the city. The temple was built in 516 B.C. The wall that was the protection of the temple in 445, still unbuilt. In steps this extraordinary convicted Agnes. His name is Nehemiah. And he steps directly into the story here. And he is a guy who is convicted and passionate for truth. And he is looking and saying, how do I? And this is the question of the reason I read Colossians, because Paul said, and Paul, Paul's adventures didn't take him to a single building of the wall or a single nation of our single place of Calcutta. It was Paul's took him all over the place. I am not asking you to find one place. I am find, asking you to find one person. And his name is Jesus. And say, I found you, Jesus. Now allow me to pour your name out in this earth. There was this Jewish cupbearer who lived in Jerusalem. And here's the simplicity of his story. In Nehemiah, the first chapter, the third verse, it was a place that he cared about. And he asked an extraordinarily simple question. They said to me, the remnant is in the province who has survived the exile and it's great trouble and shame. How's it going there, he asked. And they started to answer him. How's it going in Jerusalem? Well, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed. In other words, your people are extraordinarily vulnerable. Can I just extrapolate that lest we begin to think about building a wall? We are surrounded day in and day out by people who are extraordinarily vulnerable. And when he asked about that, it wasn't a, which is typical for most of us believers and, you know, people in the Baptist church, how you doing? I'll pray for you. He did follow that up immediately with prayer saying, God, I am convicted that something needs to be done. My power is not sufficient to get that done. My resources are not sufficient to get that done. But I happen to know a God who can do a lot with three pennies. And so, Lord, I would love for you to use me in some extraordinary way. And so in Nehemiah, the first chapter, here's what you get. You get a guy with no architectural training, as best that I know. No construction experience, as best that I know. As far as we know, he's never been to Jerusalem. He's been in Babylonian exile the entirety of his life. He's also um, 
He's also severely unqualified for this. He's a cupbearer for heaven's sake. And he is, he is committed to this though. And here's, here's what, here's what he is saying. And he is, this idea that he's going to build the wall is laughable. And some of you have conviction in your heart and you're going, you have thought about this for either days, weeks, months, or years. And you have, you have no tools or resources for that. And yet the Holy Spirit has burdened you in some way. Roadblocks have come up and you have allowed them to halt you. We just kind of come along and say, I don't know that if the Spirit of God has placed a conviction for a vulnerable situation in your heart that you are to give pause at this moment. Perhaps the only pause you were to give is what fulfilled my hand. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I kept fasting and praying until the Spirit of God told me where to go next. That's where he landed. And I love this sentence. It's coming up on the screen. God-ordained passions are typically impossible apart from God. God-ordained convictions aren't typically things you're going to sit in this room and go, we're going to go pull that off. Most of us are going to sit in and go, we don't have the resources, we don't have the people, we don't have the skills, and who am I? I am a cupbearer, and they need to build a wall. And I just love this, that it's, uh, he has this, and by the way, also, if you just kind of look at the things, he has this extraordinary job. And I, I don't know truly, and I, not in those times, I truly can't tell you exactly where this stacks up, but he is working in the White House. And he is working in an extraordinarily plush job. And he is saying, look, I, I, I want you to know, I want you to know as you read this, that what he is endeavoring to do, because he asked about a vulnerable situation, begin to pray about that vulnerable situation, begin to realize God was calling him. This was not sensible. I'm just, I have so many stories running through my head, so, so many of you. I mean, so many of you, I've, I've listened to you say, my family thinks we're crazy for what we're doing. A lot of times when God calls you to do something powerful, it is not sensical in the kingdom of the world, but it makes complete sense in the kingdom of Christ. He's just coming along and saying, God, I am filling up with conviction what was needed among the people of God in their day. And then a critical question comes his way. You, you can read his entire prayer in the first chapter to just to see the power of prayer. But then he begins to stand before the king. And the king asked Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 4, the king said, um, I'm looking at you and you're a little bit down. And I like the version that I'm going to speak a little bit. He says in the ESV, which I'm reading right now, what is it that you're requesting? I like the version that I read um, earlier about this. It says, what do you want? And I think that as we are a people, we've got to be sitting on edge, prepared to answer that question because as God is using you and calling you and you are beginning to pray about this, there are going to people that are going to walk alongside and go, I notice you are burdened. I noticed you were walking about. Some friends of ours told Susan and us after we were making a pretty major life decision. They said we they loved Jesus and they walked with him. And they were fellow pastors in another church in town. They said, we have watched you all walk miles. And we have just sat on our porch. And every time we've seen you, committed to praying for you. Because you, we knew you were walking that out. 
And there are people, as you walk that out, and as Nehemiah did in the first chapter, you're fasting and praying. There are people who are going to start watching, and they're going to begin to ask that question. What do you want? How can we help you get this done? What do you need? And and I just, I would look at you and say, have no shame in asking for what you need. The king is sitting on edge and saying, look, I am not a believer of yours. I am not a part of your remnant. I have no connection to this, but I am ready to join into this endeavor. And he is looking and going, look, this is what I want. And I think if I could say anything for today, I would say that many of us are sitting in this room. And if someone looked at us right now and literally came and sat beside us, and as far as the kingdom of Christ goes and bearing up with afflictions, the name of Christ in vulnerable places... And someone said, what do you want? I fear that many, if not most of us, have no answer to that question. And the greatest thing that we can do in this day is not do something more for God. The greatest thing we can do is exactly what Nehemiah was doing. We can begin to be a people who understand the gospel call to bear up the afflictions of the cross of Jesus Christ in this world, to step into vulnerable places and reckon them for the sake of the gospel. And we can begin as he did, not in action, but in prayer. And I believe that I just mistook, misspoke because prayer is action. We begin saying, Lord, I heard Pastor Mark and I heard the scripture more importantly. They asked him what he wanted. He immediately started listing details of what he needed. And he, I mean, I'm down to like, I need you to float these logs down the river. I need we to get this done. I need you to provide me this labor. And oh, by the way, as we go along, can you have people writing checks along the way? I mean, we need to be praying, saying, God, birth within me this passion for a situation that is vulnerable. And I don't know the answer yet, Lord, and I'm not okay with that. And I know you're not okay with that, but you're okay with me. And you'll take me where you want me to go. That would be an awesome morning. That would be a kickoff to 2017. I am going to fast and pray so that I can answer, what do you want? That would be awesome. Can y'all like to get just a little bit like nod your head or something? This would be a momentous 2017 if this church on January 1st, 2018 sat down among us and they began to say, what do you want? And as fasting and prayer and the word of God has dominated the culture of this church, this place would begin spewing with passion. I don't know if spewing is a good word. We've defined our goals We've defined our passion in 2-4-B. The king said, what are you rescuing? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said, the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor, send me to Judah to build the city of my father's graves that I could rebuild it. And the king said, how long will we be gone? When will you return? He just goes on. He lays it out. What do you want? This is it. And this is what you should understand, this truth. And I, you, got to, you have to hear this. It's coming up on the screen. Conviction and truth are catching. And, there's, and, and look, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've had people who don't yet know Jesus when we've been in some endeavor that's public and out there that come along and say, we like what you're doing. Can we get in on that? And you know what that is? That's the gateway to the gospel. The scripture teaches us that eternity is written in people's hearts. They want to stand in situations like you saw on the screen. They're longing to see those. We're redeeming that, not so that the, the young Sudanese man could solely be with his family, although that's important. We're redeeming that so that they can spend eternity together for the sake of the gospel. And it's just beautiful. Conviction and truth are catching. So I end here. What would a person who lives out 
this, this conviction and truth bearing up the afflictions of Christ, what would you do today? Perhaps you're Nehemiah, the news has come, you're already convicted. Your passion is Jerusalem and you're stuck a thousand miles due east and you have no idea what you're going to be about. Maybe you're sitting in the room and you're sitting going, yeah, I love this message. I'm inspired. Happy New Year, Pastor. But I hate my job. I can't stand the people around me. I'm not even happy in my house. What? Listen, listen, I love this. What do you do when you are living in Babylon and your conviction is there? He gives us the answer. Be the most remarkable servant praying passionate follower that you can be. This scripture, be the best cupbearer on the planet. Here's what would be a remarkable thing among believers in Jesus Christ. We should stop whining. We should stop complaining about our circumstances if we live under the sovereign hand of the living God. We should not check out ever as long as we're breathing. We should not check out on the kingdom of Jesus. We have no right. We should, as scripture would say later in Colossians, we should make the most of every opportunity in Babylon if God is going to use us to rebuild a wall. If your job is not exciting, bring excitement to the house. Live as Jesus would live as he walked among that group of people. One of the greatest actions of worship is keeping a focus on God and a great passion for God in the midst of extraordinarily challenging circumstances. And that is all but impossible, yet Jesus. Conviction and truth. Many think of this reality of building the wall. If you haven't heard this story, the rest of it happened. It was pretty beautiful. He built the wall. In 52 days, and it should have taken a couple of years. I mean, it's, it was a miracle. And a lot of folks just go into that chapter and say that that was the crowning moment. And then if you go to the next chapter, it's even better because after they built the wall, they went out and threw down and worship. And they don't worship our style where you kind of stand and sit when Ryan says. They worship by when the conviction of the scripture is read. They stand and then after they hear it and it sears their heart, they fall back on their faces. They don't bother with the pews. They're just undone by the truth of Scripture. And then they stand some more because they're blown up by the beauty of God. And then they hear Scripture again and think, my life doesn't line up. Um, Oh, God, forgive me. And then they fall on their face. It just kind of goes on for a while. They're not wondering when the pastor is going to quit. Although there is a wedding and I'm about done. But they're just kind of going, God, we love you. But some think the 52 days is the miracle or the things that happen along the way is the miracle. Here's what I think on January 1st, 2017. I think the miracle is what he did to set the table to say, God, I want to be in these redemptive moments for the rest of my days. I think this deal is catching. I think I should be a person who's in prayer and expectant. I think that you are doing ultimate and penultimate things in this earth, and I want to be a part of it. I think that, God, I don't have squat. I've got three pennies. I've got no skills, no tools. I can't build anything but I've got you and I want you to teach me to believe that. And I want you to walk this out with me. And here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I am going to fast and pray and then watch you as you open door after door after door of your redemptive rescuing work. Because I know this, Jesus, 
you've already invited me into it to be a part of your ministry of reconciliation. I just want you to open my eyes to see it. That's my prayer. Happy New Year. Let's believe that God is a God who's building his church in and through us for the sake of his name. Amen? Amen. Let's close with this song and, um, and just in worship and in prayer and hope and conviction. Jesus, we love you. God, I don't say that lightly or as a pastoral thing to say. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I pray that you will find a deep-rooted love for you in this place. God, even spiritually, you're expanding some roots of hearts right now into a deeper love relationship with you. God, not only do we love you, but we trust you. God, we don't trust ourselves and our skills. To quote scripture, we don't trust in chariots or in horses. But Lord, we trust in the name of you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you have given us, unto us, a counselor. Lord, this world needs godly counsel. We have him in Jesus. God, you have given us the Prince of Peace. Of this peace, there is no end. God, I pray that we will be peacemakers in this earth. That as we walk about this earth, peace will be shed abroad for the name of Jesus. God, you are mighty and powerful. And there are circumstances that that escape our capacity. God, I believe you can do much with three pennies. And our hearts given to you. You're a mighty God. Lord, we would ask that you would do things among the Mandarin Baptist family that would only be explained by the might of a risen Savior.